Welcome to the Asbury First United Methodist Church Weekly Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this message by Stephen Cady. For more information about this podcast or other ways to connect, please visit asburyfirst.org. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I was a teenager when I started to become more actively involved in my church, both at the local and conference level. And as I started to step into leadership roles, it didn't take long for the adults around me to start asking that dreaded question, so do you think you're going to become a minister? (laughs) Clearly, they were desperate. (laughs) No, I said with my youthful assurance, who wants to work on Sundays? But more seriously, I told them that I hoped that whatever I did with my life would in some way be my ministry. And I didn't think I had to be ordained in order to live a life of faith. And to be clear, I still believe that to be true. In some ways, it's easier to be in the church than outside of the church, living a life of faith, as you all know from your daily experience. In here, a particular way of life is sort of assumed. It's supported, it's lifted up. Out there, it's a different beast altogether, as we know from daily experience, lived experience, moment by moment, day by day, how hard it is to live as a person of faith, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, especially in the world today, where others cancel, we forgive. Where others hoard, we share. Where others exclude, we include. Not some people, but all people, young and old, black and white, gay and straight, male and female, rich and poor, broken and whole, Republican and Democrat, trans and cis, and everyone beyond and between. And that's hard enough to do inside the church. It is almost impossible to do out there, which is why anyone who tries it is worthy of a thousand times more celebration than those of us who wear long robes and say long prayers and, yes, have to work on Sundays. In other words, I still believe that even if I never entered a life of formal ministry as an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church, I still could have lived a life of faith, just like you. That said, looking back on it, I wouldn't have done it any other way. Emily and I entered ministry together in the summer of 2004. Just shy of one year having been married together. To be clear, when we 
got married, our plan was to actually start a theater company together in Columbus, Ohio. We had worked with a group of friends pretty hard on starting a theater company. We even got 501c3 status for the People's Theater of Columbus. We had a plan for where we would host our first production in an abandoned bank in downtown Columbus. We were so cool. <laughs> but at the same time we were working on the theater company, we decided that maybe we wanted to find a church. Both of us had grown up in the church, and so we would go week after week trying our very best to find some place where we could invest our time, our talent, and our treasure. And we would go in to church on Sunday so hopeful and walk out so disappointed. Maybe some of you know the feeling. All we wanted was to find a church that was welcoming and inclusive, you know, Christian. <laughs> and we just couldn't do it. And almost every Sunday I would walk out and say to Emily, you know, I just wish more young people would go into ministry. And then two things happened. One personal, one national. The personal one was that the space for our first production fell through, something about the owners of that old abandoned bank not recognizing how cool we were, <laughs> not safe for human occupation. <laughs> and the other was that the then President of the United States called for a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. And he grounded it in his faith and implied that if you were a Christian, you ought to support it too. And for whatever reason, in the midst of that confluence of events, the space falling through, not being able to find a church, in this constitutional amendment, I began to feel that first stirring of a call to ministry. To be clear, there was no burning bush, no pillar of fire, no voice from above. There wasn't a voice at all, save maybe that one crying out in the wilderness of my soul. You know that voice, the one that sits somewhere deep in the soul and whispers those words of truth that you don't want to hear. What is that voice saying to you? And so one night at dinner, I took a deep breath and I decided to share with Emily that, you know, maybe I was thinking perhaps if it wouldn't be such a burden that perhaps I could, you know, go into ministry. To which she responded with a simple, no! Her father was a Methodist minister. Both grandfathers were Methodist ministers. Her great-grandfather was a Methodist minister. And when we got married, she thought she had escaped the curse. <laughs> Fortunately for us, it was not a hard no. In fact, it didn't take long for it to become a resounding yes. 
And that summer, we entered and began the journey of ministry together. And along the way, Emily has understood ministry better than I have. And 20 years later, I am still trying to catch up what a gift it has been to have her on this journey alongside. For 20 years together, we have served churches in Chicago and New Jersey, and for the last 12 years, here in Rochester, New York, at Asbury First United Methodist Church. As I have already said, outside of being a husband and a father, this has been the greatest honor of my life. I have loved walking alongside you, and friends, we have come a long way together. To think, when we got here, Hannah was not even born, Ellie and Charlie had not entered school, and my bald spot was barely noticeable. <laughs> we have come a long way together. When I got here, we had never used the tent for anything other than the worship service that we had. We had never had a class on Harry Potter or superheroes or Ted Lasso. We didn't have a single sign up trying to point the way inside this church. We're still working on the outside. Our outreach ministries were happening in some of the worst spaces in our building, and as scandalous as this sounds, to my knowledge, that there had never once been a single yo-yo used in a children's sermon. We hadn't yet become a reconciling congregation. We were just learning the live stream. And we were still trying to find our way to be the inclusive community we are still trying to find our way to be today. We have come a long way. together. For the last 12 years, we have walked alongside one another through the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the downs and outs of life, and there have been quite a few along the way. Think of how much the world has changed over the course of these last 12 years, the way that people have pulled apart from one another, stopped talking to one another, canceled one another, and yet somehow, week after week, even when we've disagreed, we've found a way to come together and sit in these pews to remind each other week after week that we may not be perfect, but we're more perfect together than we are apart to remind each other that we don't have to think the same way, to face in the same direction, to remind each other when we desperately needed it that we are not in this alone. And we're not. The gift of being a part of a church community, any church community, is that we don't have to face life alone. And we needed that message, especially in that time a few years ago, maybe you remember it, the global pandemic. When for a year and a half, not a single person occupied our pews, and yet the church stayed full. 
And not just with people who used to occupy our pews, but with people who found us who were looking for a little hope, looking for a little life, and we were doing our best to point them towards it. Friends, it has been a privilege and an honor to serve alongside you, however imperfectly, over the course of the last 12 years. Ever since it's been announced that I was leaving to become the president of Bright Divinity School, I haven't been able to get this particular scripture lesson out of my head. It's the story from John's Gospel of John the Baptist being asked over and over again who he was. They ask, are you Elijah? And he says, no. Are you the Messiah? He says, no. They say, are you a prophet? He says, no. It's good to know who you're not. And then when they finally ask, well, then who are you? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Well, the truth is, friends, that same thing could be said for all of us. We're all a little John the Baptist, even us Methodists. That is, we all have that in us. That is the call of every Christian to be that voice, one voice. You are one voice crying out in the wilderness. Whatever wilderness you find yourself in, you are one voice crying out, trying to make straight the way of the Lord, trying to show people the way to life. Remember, the earliest Christians were just called followers of the way. That is, they weren't known for their doctrine or dogma. They were known for the way they lived. The good news is the same thing can be true for us. All of this, all the pomp and circumstances, all the, all the pomp and circumstance, all the dogma, all the doctrine, all the detritus of our faith, if it all goes away, what is this about? It's about trying to find a way to life. And once we know it, we have a responsibility to point people towards it, to show people the way. The way to life is through love. Love leads to life. That is the gospel in four words. If you remember nothing else from every sermon I ever preached 12 years in this pulpit, I pray that it is that. Love leads to life. And once you know it, I pray that you share it. Because in the end, each one of us has to make that our ministry. Each one of us has a responsibility in wherever we go and however we do it to share the good news that has been placed on our hearts, the good news that love leads to life. It's not just for the ordained. It is for every one of you ministers out there, which includes all of you. I've often said that I only have one sermon. I just try to preach it a different way each week. And after subjecting you to it for 12 years, <laughs> maybe you could do it too. We never know what a day is going to bring. There's no promise in this life that bad things aren't going to happen. The promise is we don't have to face it Oh. The scandal and the beauty of grace is that it is for all. Not for some, but for all of us, young and black and gay and male and rich and broken and Republican and trans and 
and everyone beyond and between. You know the message that we have been trying to share over the course of this last 12 years, but the real test is whether or not you will continue to preach it, whether this will make be your message, because while only a few of us are ordained, every single one of us has a call that has been placed on our lives. Now, if you're feeling a more formal call, I know a great school in Texas that would love to have you. <laughs> But every one of us has that call. So whether you at the end of every sermon have awakened or arose inspired, I pray that you keep sharing the message that we have been trying to share together over the last 12 years. Because the truth is, while this is my last Sunday in this pulpit, at least for a while, next Sunday will be somebody's first Sunday here. This is my last Sunday, but next Sunday will be somebody else's first. And while they may not know who I am or I might not ever meet them, they deserve the same hope, the same life, the same love that you have shown to me. Maybe it'll be a newlywed couple who is just searching for that place to invest in their time, their talent, and their treasure, longing for a church that is welcoming and inclusive. And I wonder, will they find it? That is up to each and every one of us to commit to, to be that church for those who come after. See, that's the beauty of John the Baptist. He did what he could in the moment he had, and then he pointed to the one who came after. And while I know the one who follows me in this pulpit is not going to be Jesus, John had it easy that way. <laughs> I have no doubt that they will be a beloved child of God with a unique voice and a unique call and unique gifts to offer this amazing congregation. And they will be in need of every ounce of love that you have shared with me, with Emily, with Ellie, with Charlie, with Hannah. As my children have said, these are our best friends. These are the people that have loved us. The good news is that that doesn't go away. Love is meant to be shared. And we can do it. Asbury First has been around for 203 years. And I have been blessed to be a minister here for 12 of them. I was not the first minister, and I will not, by God's grace, be the last. So how about we make each other a commitment? I will continue to share the love that you shared with me through these 12 years. And you will continue to share the love that I have tried, however imperfectly, to share with you. And maybe together, even at a distance, we can change the world. Maybe we can change the world in the only way it truly can be changed. One relationship at a time. We owe it to the ones who come after. After all, friends, 
We are the voice of ones crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. May it be so. I love you. And amen. Thank you for listening to the Asbury First Weekly Sermon. If you enjoyed this message, please visit asburyfirst.org and learn more about our mission to love God and neighbor, live fully, serve all, repeat.